Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today we're joined by Dr. Mark Jones, who's written a book called Knowing Sin, Seeing a Neglected Doctrine Through the Eyes of the Puritans. Now, for the past uh, several months, we've been working through various doctrines, and this is one of those doctrines that we've been trying and planning to discuss this year. We had uh, Mark on the broadcast a while back to talk about the doctrine of God uh, itself uh, from his book, God Is, and now it's a privilege to have him back with us to talk about his book on the doctrine of sin. So, Mark, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Always great to talk about sin, so uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> well, it's not really the most exciting topic to cover, uh, but you do very well in the book. So why don't you get started by telling us, let's just kind of let the cat out of the bag, why the subject of sin? What's so fun about sin? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if I would call it fun. I mean, it was a fun book to write because it's it's uh, you you get to look at yourself in a mirror, in a sense, and mm. actually... You, you learn about yourself and we're always learning about ourselves. And I don't know if we, we will ever fully be aware of who we really are at times. I think in God's mercy, he sometimes even preserves us from seeing things. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it was important to, to, to just learn about human nature. I, I'm a preacher, so I, I pastor every week to people. Uh, and I'm a scholar of the Puritans, and I felt they were the ones who would help me the most. So I kind of brought my preaching, my personal life, my pastoral life all together to, to talk about a topic that many don't like to talk about. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, looking at it as like a mirror. and I used to have a professor who used to say that the Bible is a mirror. We hold it up to people to see who they really are. And sometimes it, you know, it shows all the blemishes and all the spots as well as the sin. Um, but uh, the world likes to do that as well and hold, you know, a mirror, a different kind of mirror up to people and just show them a better version of themselves. So let's talk about the differences there. How is the Bible a different mirror than the, the mirror that the world is kind of holding up to the world? For me, I think it's, it's actually there's two problems. One is the world doesn't show us that we are as bad as we really are, but the world also doesn't show us that we are better than what they think we are. So, mm. if I could explain that, I mean, obviously the Bible tells us about original sin and how it affects us in every conceivable way to every part of our being. And, you know, outside of Christ, it's really bad in Christ indwelling sin. But what the Bible does is it holds out hope. And then the hope is such that given the spirit and the grace of God, we can be actually called good or righteous or holy. And so, the world can never do justice to what we are by nature, but the world can never also do justice to who we are by grace. And so they kind of have this position that doesn't really have any truth to the matter as far as Christians are concerned, for, for sure. Hmm. It does seem that the, the idea in the world, you know, it works because it plays off of uh, an insecurity I think that we all have. We all want to do better, and it tells us we're not good enough, but we can be better if we just you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Uh, but that is, as you mentioned, it's kind of not a very encouraged message. It doesn't really address the real problem, and it doesn't offer the real hope that we actually need to actually uh, get sin, put sin to death and overcome our, our unrighteousness to put on the righteousness of Christ. It's quite liberating, I think, to realize how bad we are by nature mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a bit of a strange way. If you think about, you know, if we really are that bad, then the only hope is outside of ourselves. 
But if you're not that bad, maybe you can sort yourself out. So I, I actually say, you know, read this book and, and read other treaties on sin and, and be refreshed by the fact that by nature you are without any hope for yourself. And then you can actually see progress in Christ that is real and true and, and, and ultimately saving. Now, you mentioned that this is a, a neglected doctrine. I would agree with you there, but you have to at least give us a reason why you think that this is a neglected doctrine in the church today. Well, truth be told, I think the publisher liked the uh, subtitle, <laughs> uh, but I agree with the publisher. I think it is neglected. It, to me, it's neglected when I hear sermons preached. It's not that preachers won't use the word sin, especially in reform circles. Uh, I think you'll hear sin, and especially in terms of Christ dying for sin, but I think it's neglected in the specific um, manifestations of sin in, in pulpits and in our, our own lives. Like, what does pride really look like? What does envy look like? What are the sins of the mind look like? Uh, and so on. And, and so for me, it, the neglect is not just sin, but it's, it's the specific specificity of sin and being a real sinner. So that's that's kind of what I have in mind. It's, it's an interesting topic, and I think that there are certainly people that go to the extreme of, of casting blame and disparaging you know, other churches and other traditions that uh, we don't talk about sin nearly enough, but uh, the trope might actually be true in some cases where the, the subject of sin is not really popular. People don't want to hear about it. We're going to get a lot more people to, to listen up to us if we tell them, you know, seven ways to, you know, better improve your marriage as opposed to saying, well, you got to deal with the sin in your life if you really want to draw closer to your spouse. Yeah. No, there's a, I think I, as a Canadian, we hear about these um, places in America where you can go get a full body MRI and it will reveal anything that could be wrong with you. And I got to be honest, that terrifies me, that idea, uh, you know, where you can go and all of a sudden the next minute is like nothing is left uncovered. And I think, you know, what we think about how that could be terrifying for health reasons, uh, it's also good because if there is something wrong, you need to find it, right? And if there is something wrong with us in our souls, diseased souls, we need to deal with it. And, I, you know, it's kind of like painful, but necessary. Mm. I think uh, I've only been married for three years, and I'm learning that uh, my wife uh, wants to, you know, have conversation with me. She, I'm there as a husband to sanctify her by the word and do all of that great work, and yet she doesn't really quite like it when I'm pointing out some of the mistakes that she's doing <laughs> or some of the things that I'm not too fond of. Um, I, I've got a lot to learn in that realm, but uh, I think that uh, we have a tendency to kind of back off on that. I mean, how, how should we handle that subject, especially as pastors? You're a pastor, I'm a pastor. How should we handle this when we know that our congregation uh, we don't want to beat up our congregation every week, week after week, talking about sin. So, how do we handle that? That's a good. That's a good question because I think you know there's a there's a reaction that can be um, there's never really any um, strong language. Uh, and you know, Martin Lloyd Jones liked the use of "you" in the pulpit because you're God's messenger. But uh, I kind of think that we can talk about the "you" to the congregation, but sometimes we can throw in the "we." And we can identify a bit with them in terms of our own um, proclivities, our own sins, our weaknesses, which doesn't keep us too aloof and too 
distant from the struggle that the everyday person goes through because pastors are are very aware of their own sin or should be so i think a pathos and an understanding with god's people where you're not just declaring from on high each week you know everyone's sins but understanding the the, the seriousness of how it's even affected your own life and your and, and how you want to improve and i think there's a, a delicate balance there um that we need to insist on but it, it certainly i think the the tendency would be we don't drive home the heinousness of specific sins enough and um and then it just becomes anemic preaching in my mind mm. now you've written this on the puritans uh so you got to give this a little insight as to uh, why the puritans um you've already kind of mentioned your passion for them in your own study but uh what do the Puritans have to teach us that we don't know ourselves about sin and the need to, to, to deal with it? Some people, you know, immediately discard the Puritans. It's a scary word, and they've heard all of the usual um, scare stories regarding the Puritans, which, you know, mostly aren't true, but some might be. Uh, I think, for me, the Puritans were pastors, generally pastors. They were very well-educated. They were sophisticated theologians. They... Um, many of them had a very uh, powerful way with language. Thomas Watson and um, Stephen Charnock, John Owen, Goodwin, those guys, they just had ways of describing sin where it's orthodox, but it's colorful. Mm. So for me, the, the, the colorful orthodoxy of the Puritans stands out compared to other eras that I've read in, and admittedly not as widely in other eras, but, you know, I've done quite a bit of work in 18th century Reformation, early church. I, I just find maybe the early church fathers would be as colorful as the Puritans, but the Puritans were a bit more precise with the scholastic vocabulary they had with sin, so that's why I liked the, the Puritans. Mm. Now, you did mention that some people kind of recoil uh, at, at the Puritans, and um, y you've covered that correctly, I think, but uh, uh, for some reason, I think that the issue that we're dealing with now is why people are so soft on sin is because they, they want to avoid the perception of being too harsh or even legalistic on mm -hmm. the, the issue of sin. Um, that kind of reaction to the Puritans that some people might have actually leads to a complete you know, pendulum swing in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think, I, I, you know, I sympathize with the initial instincts there, but the, the, the fact is, as I try to highlight in the book, that some of God's greatest declarations of His grace come right in the same context of mankind's declaration or God's declaration of mankind's sin. So, whether it's, it's Exodus 33, whether it's Isaiah 6, whether it's Psalm 51, um, you, you find Genesis 3, you find that and Romans 3, that it's bad when you look at it in terms of humanity's problem of sin, but it's glorious when you look at God's grace in light of that. So I think you can't lose when you take a biblical approach to this uh, topic. I think it's important as well that uh, we understand the fact that we, we probably, in our limited perception, don't have a biblical view of sin, even for, for many Bible scholars. We're... we're uh, we don't hate sin nearly as much as God hates sin. Uh, I've been trying to do this every year. We we go to the Psalms for our summer, 
And I always want to include an imprecatory psalm in there because I really don't think that we know how to respond to sin. We don't hate sin nearly as much. So we're we're more. I, I've said this before. We're more upset at the person who cut us up on our cut us off on the way to church than we are the fact that they're not coming to church. They're not worshiping the one true God. And I, I think in some concepts we don't actually understand how sin, how terrible sin really is. Yeah, and we we when we won't this side of glory ever be able to fully understand it's it's how bad it is and that's what makes christ's ministry so remarkable is he understood how bad sin was but he still ministered to people he still was kind to them compassionate patient so it highlights also the glories of christ in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation so to speak um how his graces were that much more amazing because he understood really who he was dealing with you know he knew what was in man so he didn't entrust himself to man, we're told in John chapter two. And and he, you know, he probably had a very strong awareness of Judas's fundamental problems, and yet I believe had to love him and be patient with him and, and pray with him and, and eat with him. So it, it highlights also the glories of Christ when we we look at sin and how evil it is. He understood how really bad it was. And so how can we not then be patient and kind with people? when we share in their same weaknesses. Now, the topic of sin, uh, it usually comes up, you've touched on it right there at the end, when we're thinking about people who have offended us. Um, how, how do we actually deal with sin when we have our own blind spots? How do we actually approach this? What, what is the pattern that you've laid out in the book here for us to, to see our sin, to actually look in the mirror of the Bible and see ourselves for who we really are? There's a few things I think in the book you'll, you'll hopefully be... Uh, illuminated by in terms of like uh, the idea that the seed of every sin is in our heart because we have a sinful nature um, in terms of the natural man. So there's no sin that we can't commit left to ourselves with the right context and so on. Um, that helps us. The other thing that helps us is is not just um, that idea, but also recognizing that the greatest sin against me by any human being is still less than my smallest sin against God and God forgives me. And, you know, that's something the Puritans taught me uh, how to understand sin. So if, if you keep that in mind, your smallest sin against God is more evil than the greatest sin against you. You should be able to forgive people because God forgives us. Uh, D.A. Carson talks about that quite a bit, yeah, the, the issue of that uh, God is always the most offended party. And I'm, sh- I'm sure he's probably quoting somebody else, maybe even a Puritan, yeah. when yeah. he says that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that is really the case, and that's one of those areas that we have not adequately understood sin. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, good point. I'm sure he was, yeah, I'm sure it's been said many times before, but definitely the Puritan said it, I know that. Well, I think uh, David was one of them who said it in, in yeah. Psalm 51. Kind of, yeah, yeah, he might be the original, original source. Mm. But that's ultimately the true case, and that has to be you know, really dealt with in our own lives. I think that's the idea in, in Matthew 7, uh, dealing with that beam in our own eye, realizing how much we've offended God. Uh, that makes things very different in how we see our neighbor, and it also helps us to help them. If we really care about our neighbor and we want them to stop sinning, we it it's we have to first look inwardly. Yeah, yeah. And sin, 
sin is miserable. It doesn't it doesn't help you. It it harms you. It, mm. it, and so, uh, to the degree that we're able to help people in terms of their sin through the gospel, we're really helping people. And you know, for all the for all the talk of how we can love our neighbor, there's no greater love you can show to your neighbor than giving them the gospel as a solution to not just their eternal life, but even their life on earth as being free from the consequences of sin, which are real for, for, for everyone. Yeah, isn't that Jesus uh, teaching in, in Matthew 18, right? That, that we as a church are to be called a, a, this called out community to actually help people to, to not sin and to, to not tie millstones around people's necks and, and, and encourage sin. And, you know, th- I mean, throughout the epistles, how much sin was a problem in the church that wasn't being dealt with in the church in Corinth. Uh, now, those were all different times. We don't have any of those problems today, do we? No, yeah, yeah. Well, as, as I think I say in the book as well, that, you know, the more, the, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And there's nothing new under the sun and so on and so forth. And that's the one great weapon we have as Christians is we have a message that is actually relevant to all people at all times all ages, all socioeconomic classes, like there's nothing that you can, there's no one you can go to this world and say, yeah, I don't know what I could say to you. Um, that's the glory of the gospel based upon universal sin. Now you talk about, um, you know, things that we probably don't consider much when we're addressing sin. You talk about the, the deceitful ways of the devil and sins of omission, um, uh, different than sins of commission. We have to have a little more of a broader understanding of sin than just the kind of cookie cutter way that we've approached it in the past, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, omission is 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 good. It comes from the idea of privation, which is sin is uh, in terms of privation. It's not just the you know inordinate lusts of the flesh and the 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 way in which we hate God, but it's also the lack of. A positive quality of righteousness and so that's why you'll find paul in like a place such as ephesians 4 we'll just talk about like what you put off is the sin but then you've got to put on something in place of that and that's righteousness and so the person who steals is to no longer steal but work so they may have something to share with those in need so christian ethics is never just negative it's never just your sins are forgiven there's a positive righteousness, or you're, you mustn't do this, but you should do something in place of that. It's, there's no neutral ground. So that's something I think we need to do a better job of in preaching and our Christian living. What's always interesting me on this topic, and I'm sure you could agree that uh, Paul writes about being the chief of sinners. Um, it seemed the closer he got to Christ in the, the, the more he grew in his Christian faith, the more sin became a a greater uh, uh, concern for him in his later years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's for Paul, it's, it's been a, a big debate among scholars about, you know, what could he have meant by that? And, and you know, is he speaking about that as uh, in terms of Christians around him? Is he still the, you know, how does he understand that? And it's, it's I don't think we can fully know, but I think he really did believe, given what he had done, that he was. Uh, and that he also knew the enemy still remaining within, and it tormented him because of what he knew of Christ and who Christ is still to him. And so I, I believe Paul's speaking truthfully 
Um, but there's a sense in which because he says that, he can't be the chief of sinners, um, if you know what I'm saying, because he's so aware of his sin. And the more aware we are of our sin, usually the closer we are to God. So um, he's speaking truthfully. He really believes that. But as I look at it, I would want to say, no, I, you know, I, I'm the chief of sinners. And I think any Christian should have that sentiment for themselves. Mm. And the positive in this and why you said that this was a fun book to write is there's a beautiful narrative here. Um, I, I had a I had a boss once that said uh, 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 before I got into ministry, I worked at a car dealership. He says selling cars is always about uh, showing people what they what they have versus what they could have. And uh, uh, when you see how bad the situation is that you're in, it just glorifies the beauty of the gospel, what we are given in Christ. It really does make sweeter that good yeah. news. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think for me, you can't, as I said earlier, you cannot lose when you properly understand sin. You can lose if you look at sin improperly. When you properly understand sin, you cannot lose because God goes to a lot of lengths in the scriptures to reveal our sin. So he knows what he's doing. And if you read the book of Isaiah, for example, or Jeremiah, he spends far more time on human depravity and sin and faithlessness and idolatry than he does even on his redemptive grace. Mm. Well, for anyone who is uh, listening into this conversation and thinking about the subject, it may be, uh, maybe it's been a while since they've even taken the time to look at the subject of sin. What kind of advice would you have for them in uh, addressing this in their own personal life? Um, obviously, pick up a copy of your book. That'd be a great place yeah. to start. But uh, what yeah. kind of advice would you have for them? Yeah, I think it's, it's manifold. Find a good church where, you know, a preacher is faithful to your soul. He's faithful every week to tell you the most truth about yourself and the most truth about God. And, you know, reading a book on sin uh, and uh, other books uh, it are good. And I think finding a few friends in your life, whether it's a wife, children, or actual best friends, you only need a few good friends in, in your life to tell you the, the things about yourself that, you know, you'll receive from them. And, and uh, you know, between all of those things, that should be a, a pretty good diet. And then the Holy Spirit will, will do his work as well of conviction of sin in light of God's word. Mm. Well, the Apostle Paul told us uh, that if we, are faith- if we are faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that God will forgive us our sins, and then also encourage us to, to go and sin no more. So uh, just as Jesus did in, in, his, in the Gospels with the, his followers and those that he healed. Uh, with that being said, um, we have access to the throne of God, and that's a beautiful picture and yeah. with that, I, I could, would you be willing to pray for our yes. listeners and uh, all those who are inter- engaging with this topic to understand that yeah. we have been given this great gift to go now before the Father? Yeah, let's, let's pray. Thank you. Our Father, we thank you that we can talk about sin, and, but uh, we're not talking about sin merely as sin. We're talking about sin as Christians, as those who know that sin has been defeated through Christ's death, but also it will be defeated in our lives through Christ's spirit that is at work in us. And so we ask that to the degree that we come closer to you and see uh, the ugliness of sin, we will also see the beauty of your grace and mercy and love towards us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with Mark Jones, who's the author of Knowing Sin, 
uh, seeing a neglected doctrine through the eyes of the Puritans. It's a great resource and uh, co- covering a topic that we don't nearly cover enough. So it's a real joy to have him with us to help us, especially throughout this year as we're talking about these various doctrines that uh, we need to have as, uh, as safeguards as Christians and followers of Christ. So, Mark, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for sharing this book and uh, also your time and your conversation with us. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure speaking with you.